I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. As usual, recording before the game. You know the reasons why. We don't need to go back into that. I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir, part of the rotating co-hosts that are going on here. You've got Will, you've got Greg, and then you've got me. I'm not rotating. I'm here every day. Well, every day that we release anyway. Well, what's going on, bro? Hey, what's going on, Adam, man? Glad to be back here with you. Yeah, man, I'm living, man. I am uh, had a few days off. The Celtics had some time off. I thought, why don't I take some time to? i got some uh, uni work going on, some university work that I'm trying to figure my way through. Uh be doing that over the weekend. So just kind of getting myself into study mode rather than talking and writing about basketball mode. It's a tough switch, tough switch. Yeah, man. I, it's kind of weird having those two days off just with how hectic the schedule's been. You know, like starting from the bubble, very, you know, brief off season, which also within that had an NBA draft, had free agency. So it didn't even really feel like, time off and then you jump right back into the season and you know having these two days off has felt like a mini vacation almost within the season which I can't even imagine for the players what that's like and for you know for myself you know I tried to take a few days like you did kind of uh, recharge the batteries but the thing is even when I say I'm recharging the batteries part of my day off was me firing up NBA 2k on my Xbox and playing that so it still was tied to basketball so even when I'm taking a break I'm still never really taking a break Man, my wife said the same thing to me the other day. She was like, look, even when you're taking a break, you're on 2K or you're watching a different team play or you're on a, <laughs> you're on a guest as a podcast, I ended up going out, grabbing myself a Switch and um, just getting Pokemon just to, okay. j- just to chill out with, man. Uh, unfortunately, I'm at the end of Pokemon. Uh, ended up getting the expansion pass. Nearly done that too. So uh, I'm getting close back to being back on that 2K. I'm just not a fan of this year's 2K, man. So I have, I took a break from video games for a long, long time, to be honest, man. I haven't had my own video game system for probably about eight years, maybe up until now. And only reason I have it is whatever the newest Xbox system is, I have the one that was right before that. So I, I don't even know the name of which one it is, but I had a, a good friend of mine. I happened to be in Boston, um, was up there for a little bit. And my friend had gotten the new one, had the old one. But he, every time I go home, he and I always link up, play 2K. And so he was like, yeah, take the old one back because then that way you can just make your own account and then we can play because I live in Texas, he lives in Boston. So he gave it to me for free just so we could link up and play 2K. So this is the first time I've actually had a video game system in, like I said, about eight to 10 years. And so now I just find myself taking a, I'm using air quotes here, break from basketball and I'm just firing up 2K and getting into it. So I haven't played in, in quite a while. Uh, the graphics are so realistic. My girlfriend's walked into the room before and it's, t- she sat down thinking I was watching a Celtics game and I'm actually playing 2K and it takes her about five or 10 minutes to realize that it's a video game and not the actual game itself. Man, that's a good friend though, giving you, um, what, so that was an Xbox One he gave you. So, uh, yeah, Xbox One. Shout out to my good friend, Chris Joyce, man. He's, uh, he's, he's a real one. Yeah, that's a good friend right there, man. I made the mistake this year. I went um 2K, and um I have a gaming comp- a gaming PC and a gaming laptop. Uh, shout out to wife; she got me both of them for my thirty. <laughs> big big expense on her part. But um generally, like I'll play it on there. Uh, I used to play it on PlayStation. I ended up moving over because if I've got it on Steam, like on the Windows version, I can play it on my PC, and then we use that as like a an entertainment hub. So like if somebody wants to watch them on Netflix or something, that's cool. I can just click stop load up my laptop and then just load the game up from where the pause was and switch over and it's portable 
So I like that. So um, I've been playing on there, but this year's game just isn't for me, man. The, the shooting mechanics are all different. It's just a pain. So I, I find myself leaning more towards just going back and breaking down film of games than I do playing 2K. And that that's sad because there's more mental going on and less relaxation, but it's just yeah. what I found. Now you're really never taking a break when you're doing it that way. Oh, bro, I'm <laughs> telling you, man. I spent, like that, when I say I took a two-day break, I, I usually when the, when there isn't a game that day, I'll uh, fire up an old game from one from the Celtics, fire up one of their last two or three, and then just try and de- break down the plays, see what's going well, see what's going wrong, form some form of opinion. I chose not to do any of that these last two days, man. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? Because it's been too thick and fast. It's, uh, for every game, like by the time you watch the game and then wrote about the game, spoke about the game, there's another game. So it's really hard yeah. to go back and see, find those trends in the film. Uh, and then once the two day break came, I was like, yeah, I'm, we need it as much as, I mean, the players need it more than we do. But like, sure. uh, I bust up my Achilles. So like, I've had to get a doctor to get my Achilles checked out. I'm all sorts of like b- broken down at the moment myself. So is that from your combat fighting? I wish, dude. I wish. Uh, I don't know how I did it. I did it exercising. Definitely done it exercising. But I strained the Achilles. I'm lucky it didn't pop. But like, uh, yeah, man. So I've just been like chilling. I don't want to move. I don't want to have to do too much. And it's not hard finding the. Yeah. I sound all yeah. sad. Let's sound happy. I know. I know. Let's let, let's turn this into a happy podcast here, yeah, Adam. Let's let's, let's get into it, man. Damn. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. This was a took you down like a therapy <laughs> session. Now, on a serious note, I mean, the first thing we spoke about this off air, the first thing we want to get into is the point guard conundrum. I mean, we saw a little bit Marcus Smart not playing, Kemba Walker not playing, Peyton Pritchard got a start. I'm happy about that. Second start of his career, I think. I don't think it was the first yep, time. No, that's correct. And then we got to see something that we'd hypothesized on this show recently as point guard Romeo. And then to end the game, we got to see Tremont Waters, which... uh. I was a little bit surprised by. I think Danny Ainge was surprised about it as well. He was shocked to see. It. I mean, everybody was surprised. I think Brad was surprised. So, um, I think that a good narrative to look at right now is how deep are the Celtics at that point guard position, and how do we see that developing between now and the playoffs? Because there's not going to be enough rotation spots for all these guys. Uh, Romeo Langford's probably going to earn one of those spots because of his um, defense. But as Brad said as the post game, while Romeo does project as a guy that will be better with the ball in his hands, he's just not at a level to orchestrate and organize an offense yet. So first of all, what was your thoughts of Romeo at point and Peyton Pritchard starting? Yeah, so let's start with Peyton Pritchard because I think, you know, he got the majority of, of the minutes being the starter. And I think long term, when we look ahead to the Celtics in the playoffs, when it comes to specifically looking at the point guard role and handling the ball, he'll probably be a, a guy that gets more that gets more run in that, in that scenario. So with Peyton Pritchard, you know, you talked about this actually, I believe on the last podcast you had with Greg, where it seemed like fear had kind of crept into Peyton Pritchard's game a little bit. And it's something I've been looking at really ever since he came back from the injury, you know, fast PPP rabbit, he was the big hype early in the season. And a big part of that was, was his ability to get into the lane. And that's where I was really surprised by as a rookie coming in, how confident he was driving into the lane, making decisions. And he had a variety of ways to actually finish around the basket, whether that was finishing off the wrong foot, having a little bit of a floater, having, you know, kind of that stop, use the pivot, then fade away for a layup. And he's really gotten away from that since he came back from his injury. And that's kind of the dirty little secret around the Celtics is that Peyton Pritchard's been 
pretty bad since he came back. I was trying to to look for through his stats before we came on, and really, there's just a downward trend from about the middle of January uh, or towards the end of January, whenever that injury was, and when he came back, you can see it's been a clear downward trend since then. This game, I thought, was probably his one of his best games he's had in a long time. And even Danny Ainge, which was pretty cool to have Danny Ainge on that broadcast, by the way. Maybe that's something we can touch on a little bit. It was cool to have him on that broadcast. And he talked about, you know, Peyton Pritchard playing with confidence and that not knowing where or when his minutes were going to fluctuate has played a little bit of a role. And so knowing that Marcus was out, Kemba was out, he was starting, he was going to get that, you know, 30 minutes, around 30 minutes to play that night. He played like it, and he was one of the bright spots in that game, I thought, for the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that I thought of at the beginning of the year, I'm sure if you troll through my tweets, someone will be able to find it, was I was very confident that rookies were going to hit that rookie wall early. You, you're playing in a truncated season almost night after night, no matter how successful you are when you hit the ground running or how much you struggle and then start to feel your way into the league. There's going to be a point where the physical toll catches up to you and then the mental toll and everything just accumulates. And we've seen a lot of these guys really struggle for stretches. Even Anthony Edwards, had a, he struggled to start the year. He's come on strong now. Peyton Pritchard started the year strong and then he started to struggle. But as you said, in this game against Chicago, his penetration looked good. He was pushing the pace. I think that there's still times where I feel he's over-reliant on the screen and playing the pick and roll. I think that he, I understand why. I understand that I don't think he's got that burst of speed from a standing position to beat a guy off the dribble. So you need that pick and roll for space creation. But there's also the opportunity to swing the ball and then try and get, try and get open to get the ball back. And then it's like a third side action. Goes first side, second side, third side as the ball swings. For anybody who's listening, every time it crosses the half, if you imagine the court split vertically in half, every time it goes to the other side, it's the second side, third, fourth. But if you if you try and get Peyton Pritchard off ball a little bit, I think he, he's got enough scoring gravity that he should be able to find ways to beat guys without using the screen as long as you allow him some time to maneuver without the ball in his hand. Uh, Three-point shooting, the dude's just got limitless, limitless range. You know, I said on the last part with Greg, I felt like um, there was a point where against the Warriors where Pritchard was trying to go toe-to-toe with Steph Curry for a moment. <laughs> it wasn't wise. Uh, we didn't see yeah. that this time, but I think that the Bulls pose a different type of threat. I think now are running a two-big lineup that's intelligent and it works because both of them are capable of stretching the floor, so they're very um, switchable. Uh, but for someone like Pritchard, I think that the Bulls play a good, pressure perimeter defense and he struggled with that a little bit but as you said he was finding some work in the mid-range he found a little bit of penetration I just do think that teams are going to realize quite quickly how over-reliant he is on screens for that create for that space creation and just being able to get a shot off really that they're going to start to hedge him a little bit more and that's where the development's kind of going to be forced or that's when his ceiling is going to be hit yeah, and I think that kind of touches on a, on a greater point of, of what we're getting at with these point guards is that outside of Kemba and Marcus, who I really think of as the backup point guard, because really they obviously they start together, but I think Marcus is going to be that anchor when Kemba sits that majority of the time he'll be that actual backup point guard, is that the rest of the backup point guards that you can label for the Celtics are all going to be on a matchup basis. And when you think of getting to the playoffs and the different matchups that you're going to, in, going to encounter, it becomes a chess match. It becomes what options does Brad have to go up against the other team? You know, how can he counter whatever move that it's the Sixers, the Nets, the Bucks, the Heat, whoever it is are throwing at him? 
And so that's where you get to a guy like Romeo Langford, who you brought up, who we got to see as Point Romeo that I know you and Greg had talked about. And I know Romeo is your guy. So I'm going to let I'm going to let you you get on your soapbox here and be able to talk about Romeo, because I don't want to judge. I haven't seen him and be able to break down his tape from the G League as much. I know you've talked to some some people inside, you know, insider tips about Romeo. And, you know, that is a role that he played more of in college and high school, handling the ball. Brad's mentioned he feels more comfortable. I don't want to judge him off this Chicago game because it's it, it was kind of unfair, especially when you look at the lineup that he was out there with. I believe it was him, Luke Cornett, Jabari Parker, uh, Aaron Neesmith, and I believe Grant Williams. Definitely a group of five that has not spent any time on the floor together. Luke Cornett, Jabari Parker, you know, pretty new additions to the team as is. So that's really tough to put on him to to go out there and then make an assessment of what he can be. But, you know, I do think, uh, I believe it was Stevens mentioned this in one of his uh, comments, is that they do envision long-term, you know, Romeo being kind of an Evan Turner type as far as a lead ball handler. And I love that idea. I absolutely was in love with Evan Turner when he was playing for the Celtics a couple of years ago. It felt like almost every game he was flirting with that 10-10-10 type of triple-double where he was kind of filling the stat sheet in different ways. And I could totally envision that for Romeo. He's on the defensive end. He's much closer to being there, or he is there as a rotation player that you're going to see on the defensive end. Uh, as a ball handler, though, striving for him to get to that Evan Turner role, I think it's theoretically a great idea. I don't think this year is going to be the year that we really see that, but I would love long-term to see that be a possibility for, for Stevens to have that in his back pocket to break out when needed. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Romeo before he starts becoming more of a ball handler is getting his feel for the NBA game. Understanding how he's where his guys are going to be situated, how to orchestrate that offense, how to use how to use screens to manipulate defenders, how to wait for pin downs on the opposite side of the floor, and learning how to manipulate that defense. The reason I'm so big on Romeo as a ball handler and as a primary point guard is he doesn't really have that that pull up shooting available to him in his repertoire right now. But he does give you great size, great length, um, and penetration off the dribble is kind of what he's known for ever since high school to now. He's able to beat his guy off the dribble, penetrate, and score as a slashing guy. So if you can surround him with shooters and create that space needed to allow him the lanes to get downhill, um, he's going to be a great driving dish asset. He's going to be an excellent um, guy to finish around the basket. He had that one finish against Chicago kind of hung in the air, took the contact and finished. That's progress yeah. for Romeo because he's been getting knocked off his line. Um, he's been quite, he's struggled easily to finish around the room through contact. So that in itself was progress. But I think where Brad's saying as well as like, we want him in an Evan Turner role, no disrespect to Evan Turner, but that probably means that he doesn't see Romeo becoming a guy that can shoot off the dribble or a guy that's going to, he, Romeo's value to me is as a ball handler that can probe the defense, can penetrate, can come off screens, give you some creation, and also give you a scoring threat from the mid-range floater-type area, and then again down by the rim. And for me, Peyton Pritch's best time on this team at the moment have all come playing the two, playing off of a primary ball handler, offering secondary creation or spot-up shooting. Put those two guys together as a one-two punch for the Celtics, and I think that starts to really build out from a good offensive standpoint for that second unit. Romeo can anchor that as a defensive guy in the guard rotation just due to that size and length. Yeah, I think 
for me, when it comes to Romeo, I kind of salivate over the idea of what defensive lineups you can kind of throw out there. Because he's only 6'4", but I feel like he plays longer and bigger than than a guy who's 6'4", especially with the way that he's he's relatively fearless in being able to go up and challenge people at the rim, defend shots. And so when you think of him as potentially being a ball handler, you know, a lineup that would really intrigue me, maybe not for this year, depends what happens in the offseason, is with, you know, if you put Fournier in there and you have a Fournier, Langford, the Jays, and maybe Rob Williams, from an offense-defensive standpoint, you know, just the length of that team and the way that they could spread the court, the vertical threat of Rob Williams, having Fournier to spread the ball and, and give you another shooting threat who can also then, if he's closed out on, can dribble and make a play, and Romeo being maybe the lead handler in that. I think that's a really intriguing option, you know, long-term. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little wary that just because of how condensed this season is, today was one of the, or this week was one of the first times the Celtics have had an opportunity to practice in maybe a month, month and a half. I don't know. It's crazy. It's one of the first times that they've had even the opportunity for that to be the case. And so to ask Romeo to fill that role this year, I think might be a bit unfair just given him coming back from injuries and having only played less than 10 games with a month to go. But I, I love the long-term prospects of it. Uh, I'm curious to know from that game the other night against Chicago, you touched on it a little bit. Tremont Waters had, I guess we can call it an explosion in the fourth quarter. I mean, after the way he played in the Lakers game where him and Mo Wagner, who's no longer on the team, were maybe the two worst players or the two biggest culprits in that 27 point comeback that the Lakers almost had, you know, to see him come out and play the way he did was very encouraging and surprising, you know, in that game. I doubt we see too much of Tremont Waters down the stretch, but do you make anything of that of that run from Tremont, or just what's your general views views on Tremont? I mean, for me, like looking at someone like Tremont, that's a two way guy, isn't really guaranteed. Like he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He's the second year on a two way contract. There's no saying whether Boston are going to keep him around or they're going to move on from him at the end of the year. Because you know, Tremont, there's no way on earth Tremont could risk having that Lakers game as his last game on an NBA floor and then hitting unrestricted free agency and trying to tell other teams, like, hey, you should take a chance on me. Yeah, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Hey, here's my highlight take. Oh, don't watch that Lakers game. Just look at the season before where I I crushed it in the G League and you'll see who I really am. So in my opinion, he came out there to prove that he was more than what we saw against the Lakers, and I think he is. I think that there's a little bit of Isaiah Thomas to him in the way that he kind of wills himself to the basket, his shiftiness, his peskiness on defense is quite um he's quite in your face, right? Like he's just trying to get steals. Yeah. He's so small, guys don't even realise he's there. Like um I feel I always <laughs> I always think of do you remember Space Jam and you've got the smallest guy, the smallest Yeah, the Muggsy Bogues character. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I whenever I see Trayman, I think of him just like, Come here, what you got for me, man? Trying to steal, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, Can you keep doing that impression for the rest of the podcast, Adam? No chance at all. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I like that, and I like that about him. I like the way that he runs the floor and really pushes the pace for that offense. I just don't think that his time with Boston should be too much longer. The rotation's yeah. too big for him. There's too many high-level guys that he needs to try and oust just to get minutes, and that's not fair on his development. So I think there's going to be another team in the league that saw what he did against Chicago kind of accepts that the LA was a blip that wasn't just on him. But um, to me, this was a, I have to go out there and perform because if I don't, it's going to be a hard sell come summertime. Yeah. I mean, he was unbelievable in that fourth quarter, man. Like I, 
he felt like he was everywhere to your point of, you know, the Monstars reference with, with him kind of being everywhere on defense. He had several steals, deflections, and it felt like if anyone missed a rotation, Tremont was one step ahead and he was the one that was actually filled backfilling in that space to give the Celtics a chance. And then the part that was the most surprising for me was, was his offensive aggression that he showed in that fourth quarter. We had a couple times where, you know, he could have deferred to one of the Jays or, or really any of the more senior Celtics that, that were out there. And there's a couple times where he put his head down, went into the teeth of the defense, and I think kind of caught the Bulls by surprise that he even did that, went right to the front of the rim and attacked and, and got a couple of buckets that way. You know, finished with nine points in the quarter, which certainly a scorer is not what we've thought of Tremont Waters in his time in Boston. But I think ultimately, you're right, this is probably nearing the end of the Tremont Waters experience. But a lot of that, I think, has to do with, like you said, the depth of the position and the veterans that, that are in front of him. That would prevent him from really making any type of, of meaningful impact with this team. Don't get me wrong, I think that there's definitely an NBA team that would be willing to take a flyer on him in more than a two-way capacity. Um, be, having that courage to go down in tall trees and try and finish when you're his size, um, I love his handle, I love his crossover, I think he can really shake guys off the perimeter and get downhill. But yeah, I just don't think that Boston is the right fit for him moving forward. Uh, but there is going to be a team out there that I can see taking a, a bit of a flyer on him. Who that is remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I mean, when I look, when I think of future um, rotations, future guard rotations, um, Tremont Waters is never a name that comes yeah. to my mind. And uh, that's no disrespect to him. It's just not on the cards for him. It's the same as Taco. I don't think of Taco as part of the center rotation. He's another two-way guy. And for all account, you know, he's a great guy. But at the same time, you don't fit in in this rotation because there's so many talented bigs now that are running yeah. roster. You're behind Rob. You're behind Tristan. You're behind Luke Cornett. That's three guys. Is Taco going to be willing to be a two-way guy again if another team comes in off is him a guaranteed deal? Like these are the questions you need to start asking yourself when you start projecting future rotation. Yeah, I think with Taco Fall, just for the merchandise that another team might be able to make off signing him, that might be an allure enough for certain teams to say, we'll give you a guaranteed contract just so they can start selling Taco merchandise when fans come back into the building. Man, I spoke with Aisha Rudd about that. Um, I don't, I think it was during the off season. And, uh, Aisha Rudd said, like, that's a big concern for, like, Taco and Taco's camp. Really? You can go back anyone listening to this. It's on this, it's on the podcast feed. If you just scroll, you'll find the Aisha Rudd. But they're very aware that teams will want to do that. And it's all about finding the correct fit Mm. for Taco rather than the fit that makes everybody the most money. So I think they're aware of that stuff. Um, but that'll be where most of the offers come in. And at the end of the day, if you're trying, if you're clawing to stay in the league and a guaranteed offer comes your way, who cares whether it's yeah, to sell jerseys? You can't or turn not. that down at a certain point. A guarantee is a guarantee, you know, especially with, with the type exactly. of money that we're talking about here. And, and, you know, he's an older, he's an older young player. You know, I think he's already 25, which, which is by no means old. But when you talk about, you know, we still say Jason Tatum's 19 and we talk about how young Jason Tatum is and Jalen Brown is, you know, Taco's second year in the league. Jalen's in his fifth year and he's a year older than Jalen. So, I mean, if you think about it in that terms, that's pretty old. Yeah, and that's the problem, right? Like, he came into the league with so many flaws to his game. Uh, I've said it all the time. Like, for a big man like Taco, the number one thing he should have is a drop step. And it's only been recently that I've, like, um, the last time I saw him, I think I saw him do his first ever drop step. And it's like, that should have been, a like, the number one thing in your offensive bag from working on the block. 
is a solid drop step and being able to get that hook shot or drop step into a one-handed dunk. To, to only have, to have take a year in the league and G League to develop that is worrisome for where your uh, ceiling really is in the league. And I know a lot of people are like, we well, can't teach size. No, but you mm-hmm. can teach people how to manipulate a bad defender who's tall. You can teach people how to avoid that size. So I, I do like Taco, but I think he's another guy that needs reps. Yeah, yeah. I think with Taco and, uh, you know, it, the, my favorite thing is when he does get into games and teams are kind of thrown off just because he's so big that I do think there is a little bit of, you know, for Brad Stevens to play that wild card, if you will, where you throw Taco in and you maybe go to a zone and it just kind of messes with the team's head for a minute because they're not really sure of how to attack Taco. Now, I think from what I've seen so far is when he gets in there for extended periods, generally teams will find a way to attack it. And one of the toughest parts for Taco is that he doesn't really have that second jump ability. So while he may block that first shot or he may affect that first shot, if you're playing up against a bigger guy who can jump three times before Taco jumps once, that's where you, you tend to run into issues. But uh, Taco as a person seems awesome. And I love, I love the garden when the garden goes nuts. You got the garden in the background right now, Adam. I absolutely love going to a game when, or even on TV when you see, you know, my favorite clip is Brad Stevens imploring the crowd to kind of go, go give him a little bit more noise so they can get the Taco chant and get Taco in the game. So, uh, you know, also from that perspective, just, just love having Taco around the team. Man, that's, when I spoke to Taco, I asked him if he'd ever seen that clip. How often do you see that video on a day-to-day? I have seen that video a lot. It pops up, uh, you know, every every now and then. Uh, I, yeah, I've definitely seen that video. But, um, yeah, I mean, that clip's notorious for Taco's time in the league. But yeah. It's just one of those things. Like, I feel bad that Treymont don't have one of those. Treymont's been around just as long as Taco. And if you remember last year when Taco was in um, the G League, there was that that... that quote where like um the media turned up and one of the red claws players were like hey y'all never turned up before taco was here why weren't you guys down here so like it is a media circus that follows him because he's mm-hmm. he's a larger than life guy you know what i mean but at the same time him and trainman i think that there's other two way opportunities for some guys that are going to miss out on this year's draft that are going to be still quite talented guys because of the depth of the draft that will probably earn those. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fairly accurate. Um, before we move on from from these, or kind of circling back, I guess to those to the backup point guard position that we were talking about, I just wanted to get this out there because I, I had written this down, and I and I think you and Greg may have touched on this, and it's it's kind of theoretical. The question I'm going to pose to you right now, but what are your thoughts on as we head towards the playoffs? What a lineup with Evan Fournier running a little bit of the point guard spot would be and this is obviously in small stretches but i'm just curious to know what, what your thoughts would be on evan fournier maybe taking a couple of those backup point guard minutes yeah i mean i'm all for it man they need as many guys that can handle the ball as possible um i think that if you're going to do that you're probably going to want to slide romeo in it too just to have that length on defense i know evan fournier is meant to be an above average defender anyway but the calling card of this second unit while the celtics have been winning games is defense both in the starting lineup and coming off the bench so I, I like personally, um, and I'd like to see this before the playoffs to battle test it, but I'd like a rotation of like Evan Fournier, Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams, Christian Thompson. And I'm, I'm curious how that would work. Obviously, if, if Aaron Neesmith isn't performing, slide Shemi in there, you know what you're going to get from Shemi. Put Shemi in at the three. Um, but I think that could work. I'd be very intrigued to see how with Neesmith, I'd put him in there for the floor spacing to allow Romeo to do some work off ball, some 45 cuts, and then try and create room for Evan Fournier off the back of those 45s. 
um, if you had Ojale in there, uh, things change a little bit. I think you still get some spacing, but now you're going to rely more on like um, stagger screens off Grant and Tristian to get Evan Fournier going. Maybe give the ball to Romeo while Evan, you know, like a dribble handoff to Romeo so Evan can come off a uh, double off ball screen and then feed it back to Evan for the open three or for the drive. But I think there's a lot of creativity that having two guys that can handle the rock like Fournier and Romeo or Fournier yeah. and Pritchard. Um, you know, if you want to put if you want to put Pritchard at two and slide Romeo up to the three, that's fine too. But there's somewhat more the, the versatility of having two guys that can score off the dribble and light you up from for, uh, all three levels. I think that that's a really good offensive second unit that still has a defensive continuity. Yeah, and I think with the, the Fournier and Pritchard points, if you have a secondary ball handler out there with them as well, both of them can then act act as floor spacers from from the standpoint of if they don't have the ball in their hands, they're not, you know, I don't want to say useless, but you know what I mean? They, have, they, have a, they still have an effectiveness to them. And both of them, because they are ball handlers, will have the opportunity then if the ball swings to them and a, you know someone closes out, they'll have an opportunity to make a secondary action off of that. But then they can create another ball movement, maybe get an open look. Defense rotates, find the open man. And obviously you'd rather have a guy like Peyton Pritchard or Evan Fournier making that call versus a Grant Williams or Semi Ojale, depending on what lineup you're looking at. Man, these secondary actions are why I kind of like Grant with that second unit. Like, um, you know Tristan Thompson's not going to give you any secondary action coming off a of pick and roll. He's going to be your primary outlet. Um, and if he gets shut down on that roll or the tag man takes it, like slows him down so the defense recovers, that action's done. If you can run like a double, like a double screen or a stagger screen and then get, um, Grant Williams into the short roll area, there's your second roll action. Cause Grant Williams is actually quite a reliable passer out of the elbows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. And I think that's why Rob Williams has been so successful with the starting lineup is because that short roll gives you that secondary action. If the vertical action gets taken away by a defensive rotation, uh, I think the, first, the starting lineup are actually missing that with Rob now while he's not in play. And I think Grant Williams is your next bet, next best bet to give you some of that secondary creation after short roll. But I do like the idea of having multiple ball handlers that can all space the floor on both units. Yeah, I think that's something that the Celtics will uh, will for sure be, be looking to, to try and figure out. There's only a month left of the season, so they're going to have to figure this out quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, like, I wanted, I wanted, uh, Stevens to experiment. I always wanted to experiment in the first half of the season. I was one of the first people, like, okay, experimentation time's done. Let's move on. Lock up your, uh, rotations. He hasn't had a chance to do that. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like, dude, just experiment to the playoffs <laughs> because the seeding's going to be what the seeding's going to be at this point. You know, you put yourself in a position where you don't have that security blanket because of the way that the season's gone the lack of health in the team. You've lost a lot of games you probably should have won. So just experiment till the end of the year now. Show me who can, show me rotations that tell me that you're looking for the best way to create space. You're looking for the best way to create transition lineups and then implement them. And I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed watching that Chicago game because he went deeper into that bench and he tried different lineups to see what would work. He put Romeo in a spot where you're forcing development from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. So that's the way it needs to be to the playoffs and everybody's, or at least until you've got a full ro- roster and everyone, your rotation's back to what it should be. I'm all for that because at the end of the day, you're not getting fourth seed. You're not getting third. Well, you might get fourth. You're not getting third seed. Yeah. Third seed's out of play at this point. But I, but I am curious, listen to the mailbag that you put out earlier in the week and you, you started talking a little bit about 
the seedings, where does the seeding importance for this team fall for you? And, you know, you mentioned the top three seeds are, are out of reach at this point. Really, I think for me, it is important to stay out of that play in tournament. You know, we talk about health with this team being such a big thing about, and that's part of the reason that Brad hasn't been able to really dig in and, and find here's our rotation of what we want for, you know, a game we got to have. Here's our rotation, just the injuries and health and safety haven't allowed for that. But ultimately, if you fall into that play in tournament, you know, you got to play at least one, if not two more games that following week. Whereas if you fall into that four, five, or six, which are, you know, very extremely realistic options for the Celtics, and I think need to be of the highest priority, you get a full week off. Having a full week off, as we just talked about to start this pod, two days off felt like a month off. I can't imagine what a week off before you start the playoffs would mean for this team. So I do think there has to be at least some importance on getting outside of that play-in. But then I think when it comes to whether you're the four seed versus anywhere four through six or health, you got to lean towards health. And that's where when you do have these nights like the Bulls games where you have just an unreasonable amount of people that are out that are really messing with your rotations, I think that's when you throw caution to the wind and you go kind of the route you're talking about where you're trying to win the game, obviously. But you're experimenting and looking to find you know, new avenues that you can use for that versatility come a come a true playoff series. Yeah, for me, the number one option, uh, sorry, the number one priority is finish above that seventh seed. I think after that, as long as you finish uh, six five four, wherever, I don't think that holds that much importance. It's going to be a bit of a tough matchup no matter where you finish there. Uh, ideally, you can end, you might get lucky and end up getting um, New York or Atlanta, which. Don't sound nice right now, but you know, right? <laughs> uh, I've, ha- I've had some serious debates on which team I'd rather uh, face in the first round. I think I'm going to go New York. Um, but I think as long as you're staying out of that plane, then now your number one priority is health. I think this team, once the once Rob Williams is back, once Evan Fournier is back, I think there's too much talent there to drop enough games to fall into that plane slot. I think that everything will write itself a little bit. You just need to get to this weekend. And I understand that Fournier is not going to come back and be a game changer straight away. We saw what Tatum went through. Tatum spoke about it during a post in a press conference himself saying, you know, the hardest part for Fournier is going to be getting that wind back under him, getting those legs back under mm-hmm. him. So minutes restriction, probably. Um, are we going to see the best of him straight away? No, we're not. But just having him there and having the gravity that he would provide is going to help the spacing for this team. Uh, but again, yeah, as long as you're finishing above the seventh seed and you can keep guys relatively healthy, uh, that should be the priority. I don't care if you finish six, five, or four now. That we're, yeah. we are where we are. Yeah, I mean that's right. There's there's no way we're going to be anything more than four through six. I'm with you 100. percent The priority is staying out of the plan. Second would be health. The only caveat I will say to that is that if you look ahead to the opportunities that the Celtics may have to make a, a real run, and when I say real run, I mean get to the Eastern Conference Finals for the fourth time in 50 years, because I truly believe once you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, anything can happen. You know, within that series, there's an ankle tweak, there's, you know, at, at this for this year, COVID, something could happen, like anything could happen, anything's on the table. So once you get there, you know, everything's on the table. But just to get there, I will say it looks like the way it's shaping out if you can at least scoop that four or five seed, it has to increase the likelihood of this, or at least the chances, I want to say likelihood, but chances of Celtics reaching that Eastern Conference Finals. Because if you end up in that sixth seed, you're almost guaranteeing your road starts with Milwaukee, has to then go through the two seed, which could be either Brooklyn or Philly. And then likely that means Brooklyn or Philly, whoever's in that one seed is playing winner of that four or five, which if it's the Hawks, Knicks, 
you know, whoever wins that series is not beaten the Nets if they're even mildly healthy. And so then from there, you're looking at trying to beat the Bucks, Sixers, and Nets in order just to get to a finals. And that's, that's in my opinion, probably an unreasonable task. So if you can at least get to that four or five and Maybe we're slightly disrespecting the Hawks and Knicks here, but I do believe at full strength the Celtics beat both of those teams in a seven-game series, and I would I would have extreme confidence that that should be the result if healthy. And so then from there, then you only got to beat two out of that three. So that's that's a big difference to me, but I would take health over being that four or five versus a six seed any day of the week. Yeah, my outlook on it is like, I get it. Nobody wants to go out in the first round of the playoffs. It's a pride thing. It's a, it's a bragging rights thing for the fan bases. But at the end of the day, you're still, like you say, you're still worst case scenario, best case scenario, you've got to go through one or two of these guys anyway. You know, most likely two. So the only difference is you have to go through three instead of two. Now, if you, if you want to be an NBA champion, then you need to be able to get through these anyway. You, you should, if you, if you're selling me like, hey, the Celtics should be in the finals this year. If somebody told me that and they genuinely believed it, Okay, so go through the box, then go through the nets or the sixes, then go through whoever was left. It's not yeah. easy to do. And I, I, I think that there's some teams there that, you know, and matchups make everything, you know? So like, um, I think that if Brooklyn find themselves against Philly in the second round, uh, I, I've got, I personally, I think that Philly match up with Brooklyn excellently. I think that Philly, have enough length to dis- disrupt Brooklyn and a lot of what Brooklyn are trying to do and they have the size to punish Brooklyn on their on the defensive end. I think Milwaukee can do the same thing but I think that Boston have that many scorers and that much floor spacing and a lot of these elite teams at the moment in the East, in Milwaukee, in Philly, run with, with a drop scheme so they're going to be relying on their wings to pick up a lot of that slack in the mid-range. I think Boston have ways to stretch that out um, do I think Boston could win? I think anything can happen in a seven-game series. Uh, adjustments, adjustments are king. Uh, another team that's been ignored is Miami. I don't think anyone should sleep on Miami. Yeah. Um, you can't go to the conference finals one year. I mean, sorry, to the NBA finals one year, come back with the same roster and get slept on as much as what these guys have. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries too. I just think it's a really deep conference compared to what we've seen in the last three, few years. And this changes expectations a lot. So if it's, I'd, I'd much rather have to go through three of the elite teams and be a hundred percent healthy, like in terms of roster depth, than only have to go through two. But there's one or two guys on a treatment table for the first series, and that's kind yeah. of where my mentality is with all of it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Health is going to supersede wherever we go because, like you said, it's a tough road. And you know, the Hawks and Knicks, as much as we're somewhat, you know, putting them to the side. They keep winning. They've won a lot of these games that you talked about that we haven't won at certain points of the season. I mean, I guess you can kind of look at that Bulls game the other night as a game that, yeah, we should have won that. We didn't. The Hawks and Knicks have each been on massive winning streaks or have won. You know, the Knicks are on an eight-game winning streak right now. And regardless of who their opponent is in front of them, they're putting wins together. Uh, and that's something we haven't always done, even though obviously we're coming off a six-game winning streak. So we have the talent to do so. But it's it's just a weird season, man. When it comes to health, every team is one injury away from having their entire season flip. And so really, all you can do is put yourself in the best position to be ready if that opportunity open, opens it up, itself up to you and then be ready to pounce. Well, I'll say for every team is, including New York, including Atlanta teams that are winning, this will go for Phoenix too. Um once you get to the postseason, it's a new season. Regular season form, regular season chemistry, all of that goes out of the window. You're starting from scratch and you're playing. It's a different brand of basketball. It's a different brand of coaching. 
the pressure's different. Like, everything changes once those playoffs begin. And teams that know how to handle that pressure with coaches that know how to make those adjustments are going to be the ones that go deep. And this is why I'm kind of like, health matters more. As long as you stay out of that playing tournament, uh, this team have been to war in the playoffs year after year since, the, since this call has been together. Brad Stevens has developed a reputation as a good coach because of the adjustments he makes over a seven-game series. Yeah, so I'm not too concerned about who they face. Uh, because if you lose to them, there's no shame in losing to Giannis in the box. There's no shame to losing to the MVP electing, um, well, one of the MVP elects in NBA. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If, if Brooklyn beat you, well, I mean, who's going to be mad at that? I can't be mad at that. If you lose, they're, they're the Kyrie, actual monsters. You talked about the monsters earlier. Dude, they're, they're literally the monsters in actual form. <laughs> they're going to build movies about this team. It's the Hall of Fame starting five, dude, or Hall of Fame <laughs> roster. There's so many guys on there that are going to be Hall of Fame. Like, I get it. As a fan, we expect Boston to win. As a, but someone like me that tries to stay as um as in the middle as possible, I'm like, yo, there's a lot of teams here that if you lose to them, you can't be too sad because you've got former MVP, former Defensive Player of the Year, Giannis. They've picked up Drew Holiday. They've picked up Hill. They've they've got um, Chris Middleton, the Celtics killer. You go over. To, <laughs> yeah. Um, you go over to Philly. Sorry, Philly picked up Hill, not Milwaukee. You go over to Philly, they've got Hill, they've got Curry, they've got um, Feibel, Simmons, and B. These teams are deeper than they were mm-hmm. 18 months ago. And so I'm kind of just like, yo, I just want them to be healthy and I want to see how good Brad Stevens makes these adjustments and what he's learned from all of this tinkering through the year. Because the playoffs are when you're going to see him get that, that playbook out that we haven't seen him. And everything that's worked is all of a sudden going to be thrown into every game. It's going to either be beautiful or it's going to be dog ugly. <laughs> I think all we can hope for is that, you know, down the stretch here, we just get an opportunity to see what the healthy Celtics, healthy Celtics look like. We certainly know what the hospital sees look like throughout the year. Hopefully the healthy Celtics get a chance before we hit the playoffs. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be It'd delightful. Be <laughs> I, I think the youngsters call it a glow a glow up. Okay. Yeah. I could, yeah. I think that works. I think that works. Adam, I think you and I, we, we gotta, we gotta make sure we stay, stay hip or stay cool, which already I may have eliminated us from being by using the word hip in that sentence. Yeah. We, we're going to glow up. Don't worry about it. This <laughs> is what we're going to do. We're going to glow our vocabulary up as well. But yeah, I think the Celtics need to glow up, um, get their healthy guys back and start putting some good performances in. Now, at the end of the day, we're saying this. They've only lost one game. They were on a big win streak. Right. They've lost one, and we're acting like the Phoenix game hasn't played yet, so we don't know how that's going to play out. Um, we will by the time you guys are listening, and girls, sorry, by the time everyone's listening. But at the same time, like they're going into this without a couple of a couple of players. Look, and I'm fine with that. In, in fact, if I could choose, I wouldn't let Kemba Walker even sniff the court tonight. Like I want you against. I want you against Brooklyn. We need to we need to get in Brooklyn's head a little bit so you can play against Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, man, this team will glow up. Between now and the end of the year, they'll glow up and then we'll have a nice playoffs. That's my hope. Yeah, I think we're in a good spot, especially when you think about where this team was, what, three weeks ago. I'm plenty satisfied with, with where we're at right now. Just need a little bit of help. We'll be all right. That's what we're going to call the episode now, the glow up. Uh, love that. Love that. The blow up. There we go. See, so everybody that's listening, you've been listening to the Celtics pod. Make sure to follow me at Adam Taylor NBA. Make sure to follow Will at Willbon13, W I L L B O N13 on Insta and on Twitter.
Yeah, I'm on Insta too. Don't forget that, people. Um, <laughs> uh, We're going to glow that. up, man. they got to make sure they find us in the right places. Yo, man, I've got like a link tree in my bio. Click that. It'll show you everything. Just follow everything on that link tree. Um, please. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave that five-star written review. Please make sure you say something nice. We will be back again on Monday. I'm excited because there would have been probably two or three more games by then so we're going to have a lot to break down um, until then stay safe stay sassy enjoy the weekend don't do anything I wouldn't do and have a good time everybody peace peace